This is the Feast of Pentecost, the capstone of the great 50 days of Easter, and it's a time to do some thinking and reflecting about the Holy Spirit and how we as Episcopalians understand the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and remind ourselves that what has now uh, concluded, it hasn't really concluded, but is the great process of of the shape of the Easter liturgy, which will have its stamp on the rest of the Christian year and the liturgical calendar. But when the, the Holy Spirit comes, we see that it's the culmination of the presence of the illuminative processes of God, the light of Christ, the knowledge that the history of salvation involves you, that your personal history is part of the history of salvation, and that you count in terms of God's plan for the cosmos. We also remember that the energy of baptism courses through the veins of the church, and the renewal of our baptismal vows this Sunday reminds us that in some way we are energized by that uh, desire to continue to walk on the way with the Savior, and we have re received the sacramental affirmation that uh, we now are grafted onto the body of Christ, and in spiritual terms and actual terms, we are fed by that spiritual food and drink of the Holy Eucharist. So here's where we start, and now the Holy Spirit comes. Father Thomas Keating, in his book, The Mystery of Christ, says this about all the liturgical feasts in the year. I really like this. The grace of Christmas is to know Christ in his humanity. The grace of Epiphany is to know Christ in his divinity. The grace of Holy Week is to know him in his emptying and dying. The grace of Easter is to know him in his triumph over sin and death. The grace of the Ascension is to know him as the cosmic Christ. It is to know the glorified Christ who has passed not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. And the grace of Pentecost is to know that Christ is all in all and to know his spirit, the ongoing promise of the Father. You know, ascension and Pentecost are connected in that sense because now Jesus has transcended space and time and he's everywhere and he's in our hearts and the Spirit of God and the celebration of the presence and the power of the Spirit on Pentecost is the celebration that you now have a resource always internally, God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen you. So in my sermon, I'm going to preach about the book of Acts, the reading we read, which is the, the uh, event of Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, and what the gifts are that we receive by virtue of that activity. And then to say something briefly about John's Gospel, one of my favorite lines in John's Gospel, and that is that I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And I think that might have something to do with the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of faithful people through the ages. So we'll get to that in a minute. 
The book of Acts is volume two of the gospel according to St. Luke. The same person that wrote Luke's gospel wrote Acts. It's a two-volume set. And the, and the gospel according to Luke is about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And the book of Acts, particularly with the event described today, is the story of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the people of God. So we now become both the beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit and the fiduciaries of the Holy Spirit, the stewards of the Spirit of God. But we learn as this process begins that we can't control the Spirit and the Spirit moves as it will. But today the story is here to, for us for a purpose. The apostles and the disciples are in the upper room and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes down. The artists, the medieval artists and the Renaissance artists would, pay, would paint flames on top of the heads of the, of the apostles and the disciples. Probably where we get red as the color for Pentecost. I was thinking, looking out in the congregation, all of you who have read on today, it was great to see that. And it reminds me of the story that I told you about my colleague in the Diocese of California, Carolyn Fairless, who was the rector of the Church of the Holy Family in Half Moon Bay. And at the coffee hour in her parish one Sunday, she was sitting around a table with a little girl helping her paint her nails red. And as she was doing this, the little girl said, you know, God loves this color. And she said, well, how do you know that? And she said, because red is the color of God's spirit. There was a book that reminded me years ago, some years ago now, written by the famous child psychiatrist Robert Coles, called The Spiritual Life of Children. And in the book he describes uh, what deep and uh, profound spiritual lives our children have. And so when you hear something like that, it pays to listen on more than one front. So the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples and the apostles and they come out of the upper room and they start to speak. And everybody who's out there understands them. This is not a biblical passage about ecstatic speech or speaking in tongues or glossolalia. Let's all say that together. Glossolalia. That's the 3995 word for speaking in tongues. All right? Ecstatic speech. This is a biblical text about universal understanding. That the Spirit of God brings clarity, brings universal understanding, and brings the power of God's reconciling presence to the world. So those people who would have read this text when it was written or heard it read to them 
would have said, you know what this is about. This is about the symbolic reversal of the consequences of the story of the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? We've dug up in archaeology some of these towers. They're called ziggurats. So this is about the building of a ziggurat. That's not one of those guides about restaurants, is it? No. <laughs> Something completely different. A ziggurat. So, God confuses the speech of the people who thought they'd hung the moon or were about to be able to get up to God. And as a result of that, we have all these different languages. That's another reason about the story. You know, the Adam and Eve story is about how come we wear clothes. But that's one of the things about it. It's why do we have to wear clothes? So the story of the Tower of Babel is about why we have all these languages. At least that's one of the reasons it was written. And the thing about that is that you and I know that there's still a whole lot of languages and we don't understand one another. But it is a story about uh, universal understanding. So when we think about how this could apply, when it appears obviously that we just can't start, can't start speaking about the highest and best things of our humanity to everybody and they understand them, we do know that the power of God's spirit has reconciling power. Dr. John McQuarrie, the former Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford, who was around when I was in seminary, used to refer to the third person of the Trinity as unitive being. So it is the Spirit of God that is working to unify us together to be able to fulfill the church's mission. And what is the church's mission? To restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. Many people get confused uh, about the mission and the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission is go therefore into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and know that I am with you always, even unto the end of the ages. That's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. And so on Pentecost, when we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit, it has something to do with this unifying power as it is lived by human beings who have the Spirit of God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen them. So how would you know? How would you know whether or not you have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit? How would you know whether or not you're, you've made any spiritual progress at all in your life? You know, sometimes in the spiritual journey, it's, uh, you know, one step forward and two steps back. So it's hard to figure out how the spirit operates. Well, you and I receive some things at our baptism and the presence of the spirit within us. They're called the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. And there there's more than one list of what the fruits of the Holy Spirit are. But here's one of the more uh, well-used ones. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Can you see the connection between the fruits of the Spirit and the building and development of character? Years ago, Mother Morrison and I took a class in, at Berkeley at the Pacific School of Religion that was taught by John Sanford, who was an Episcopal priest, but he was also a famous Jungian therapist. And he said, oh, by the way, he's the one that said, uh, I love this. Somebody said, uh, do you think reincarnation is true? And he said, I hope it isn't. <laughs> Them's my sentiments. But he said, just in a throwaway line, I wrote it down in my, my note-taking thing, uh, character is living your life according to certain principles. So, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control uh, have unifying effect in relationship, don't they? when you're able to express those aspects of your character, you know? So if you've been able to do those things a little bit better than you did before, uh, you might be able to take a chance and say, perhaps I've made some spiritual progress. Most of the time you know it in hindsight, right? You see that as you have lived and look back on, on uh, what's gone on in your life, in your own personal history of salvation. The ability to express these gifts or fruits of the Spirit must be understood within the context of our own personal freedom and that their authenticity is a function of the spontaneous character of their expression. The infusing of the Holy Spirit at baptism makes it possible to express these gifts. It does not make robots out of us but provides the space for us to grow in the Spirit and the knowledge that the Spirit does not or did not come just once. As Father Keating says elsewhere in his book, The Mystery of Christ, the Spirit is always present yet always coming. That is because the divine actuality becomes present in a new way each time we move to a new level of spiritual awareness. That's why it's important from time to time to do some reflecting about your personal history. To see where you've been and where you've, come, where you've come from and where you are now. And how perhaps the Spirit of God uh, is involved in that process. So if you and I know that the Spirit of God doesn't come just once, but is available as a continuous presence we can make the decision to tap into that or just ignore it or do what we do. But the Spirit of God is always there. In the Gospel, we have uh, part, another one of these things. You can read this and I and, you know, John. That's why I like the line that says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In human institutions, and the church is one of them, the Spirit of God operates through you and me. There is no other way for that to happen. And I'm an Episcopalian, so I agree with Dr. John McQuarrie 
that says the Holy Spirit of God is not invasive, but pervasive. So when you understand that we're not always talking about the necessity of the Holy Spirit to come in some disturbing fashion to knock everybody off their pins or to require that we have this uh, unknown language that we're going to speak in and so forth. Those things were present during the time of the writing of the New Testament. They've always been around. Ecstatic speech and certainly in the Christian faith and life. It may surprise you to know that St. Ignatius Loyola spoke in tongues. Who would have thought? The founder of the Jesuits, right? <laughs> Nobody would have known it if they hadn't looked, read his personal diaries after he died. He didn't talk about it. So some people uh, realize that if th that gift comes, if you wish to see it that way, uh, it's not necessarily for publication. It's part of uh, your own internal um, yearning for God and the expression of the presence of the Spirit. Paul himself spoke in tongues. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the pervasiveness of the Spirit. So, when you hear the Savior say, I have many other things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, how do they come? Must we wait for some direct revelation? You know, like Father Hunt in my seminary, he was our Old Testament professor, and he would sometimes stand, particularly the first year, and he'd go, What's this? <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> I wrote it. So that becomes the idea, shall we move to Des Moines? <laughs> That's not how the spirit operates. The spirit is uh, pervasive in our lives. And that means that when institutions struggle with the deep things of faith and belief, with challenges and opportunities and things that have come now to be part of the way the world is uh, that didn't exist prior to now. What do we do with that stuff? So the Holy Spirit is there for us to say we need to begin to do what? We need to rely on the third leg of the three-legged stool. But the Bible, the tradition with a capital T, and our human reason and experience. And so we're engaged in a continuous reflection on the deep things of Christian faith and belief and how they fit. Father Raymond Brown, and uh, one of the great biblical scholars of the 20th century, says that we must interpret to each generation the contemporary significance of what Jesus has said and done. And so, you know, the church has spent an awful lot of time answering questions that people aren't asking. And we need to figure out what it means to say, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now.
And so we're sort of obliged by virtue of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God to uh, allow that spirit to have full play. What that means in practical terms that the pastoral experience of the church has a role to play in understanding how we think and act and relate with one another. You know? It's how we become willing to listen to one another's stories. And when we hear the stories, we maybe begin to say, well, you know, heretofore I've thought about this this way, and now I've heard a lot of these stories, and I'm not so sure that that's the best way to think or to create policy around what it is that we should do. And we're going to need to allow the spirit to have some play. So in this gospel today, it's about uh, believing what the Savior said. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And the history of Christianity is replete with examples of people saying, I, this is one of those things that I couldn't hear before, but I hear now. So this week, uh, give thanks for the gifts of the Spirit. Check and see uh, if any of this list is, uh, has anything on it that you may have made some progress with. And give thanks for, to God for the opportunity to do that. Give thanks for the, the fact that the Spirit comes more than once. And the coming of the Spirit in a kind of pulse, this pervasive presence, uh, is an affirmation of God's continuous presence in your life. And remember always that the Spirit of God is present within you to enlighten and strengthen you. Amen.